Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King Cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And today, if you are listening to this particular uh, podcast episode, um, this is a bonus episode that was released the same day as my review of The Talisman. Uh, The content of this particular episode will revolve around the discussion regarding the Dark Tower and its connections to the Talisman. So here's a warning. If you have not read the Dark Tower saga, and I mean the entirety of the Dark Tower, I implore you to turn back now as I will get into heavy spoilers for the end of the Dark Tower, and I don't want anyone's experience to be ruined in a podcast when everyone should be able to experience it for themselves, spoiler-free, on their own, good old-fashioned reading experience or audio experience if you prefer listening to books on tape. So, uh, again, if you haven't finished The Dark Tower um, and are only familiar with The Dark Tower maybe through the Marvel comics or you've read The Gunslinger or a handful of the books, um, you know, go out and read them and then, and then come back and listen to this. So, um, I'm going to get into that in a second, but while we are talking about The, uh, the Dark Tower and because it's going to be a focus on The Dark Tower itself today... Um, I'm going to use this opportunity to read an email uh, sent from, and I feel bad because this particular person has been a um, a big fan out there uh, on Instagram and Twitter, um, and, and now she finally wrote this email. I, I think um, if I pronounce it incorrectly, I apologize. I'm going to I'm gonna go with the pronunciation of Manan, um, as I as I think that that's a really nice way of pronouncing it. So this is from Manan, um, and she writes, "Hello. This email might seem disjointed or random. I just wrote as the points popped into my head. Thought about doing it in point form. So much I wanted to share. I love your great vocabulary. Nice to hear someone speak with intellect." Starting off the first podcast and talking about bullying makes me grateful for your social awareness. I think your fun music choices really add to the show. Well, thank you. I. I, I personally, I, I think that the music choices, though, that's my favorite part of, of making uh, this podcast, actually. But my favorite part is how passionate you are about SK. Duh. In listening, that's what she wrote, not me. In listening to the Salem's Lot review and what you said about Susan, it made it click for me why I didn't feel she was worth being in a King story. After, head, after having read Gerald's game and Lisey's story, I expected all of his female characters to be rich and complex, so after you put words to my ick feeling, I was like, yeah, exactly. I too started reading, I started to read the books in chronological order recently around this summer, weird coincidence. When I first got my iPod in 2006, I subscribed to one of the top podcasts on iTunes, and that was Buzz Out Loud from CNET. It's no longer on the air, but I loved it. After that, I raced through the MuggleCast, Harry Potter podcast, and some photography ones as well. And then when Buzz ended, I slowly stopped. I've missed podcasts, so having yours is a real treat. Thank you. And again, for um, I, I've said before on the podcast, uh, one thing that I, I just I love to do is I just love to uh, drive around, decompress at the end of the day, uh, and listen to podcasts. So the fact that I'm able to do that for someone else is it's really awesome. It's what it's all about. Kudos to putting it together because it's not a small undertaking, but you make it seem effortless. SK isn't part of the mainstream anymore. Love that this was said. I pointed out at the bookstore every time there's a new release, there's rarely a a display and it just pisses me off. 
So in regards to that, when I started the podcast in the, uh, well, I released, I started releasing them in the end of August. I started recording them, I think, in the early um, first week of August. Uh, my, my thesis was that Stephen King is kind of falling out of the, um, the mainstream conversation um, and having been replaced by, let's say, the conversation around young adult novels and, you know, um, George R. R. Martin from, from Game of Thrones. Uh, and once upon a time, Stephen King was it. He was it, but, but now not so much. But I want to I say that I think that the tide might be turning here a little bit um, I, with the announcements recently of Matthew McConaughey being cast as Randall Flagg to The Stand being a four-part movie um, from Warner Brothers, which is a huge show of faith and an ambitious undertaking. And the, uh, the, the recent announcement that Corey Fukunaga from True Detective will be begin filming the two-part theatrical release of It starting this summer, as well as the um, there was more publicity around the, the novel Revival, which just came out this year, and it was a return to form in, in some regards to, to Stephen King. I think that this could be the resurgence of Stephen King. And again, not that he went anywhere. I mean, the guy is still a literary powerhouse, and his name is synonymous with horror and, you know, all of that. But I had made the argument that it wasn't what it once was. But I think that, especially with the adaptations of The Stand and It, um, this could reignite and explode Stephen King. Um, and I think that with, with with The Stand and It, it could present with us two, two performances of Matthew McConaughey's Randall Flagg and whoever is cast as Pennywise. And these could become iconic roles that are as synonymous with Stephen King as Sissy Spacek uh, and Jack Nicholson. So I'm very excited about that, and I hope that the the, the role that Stephen King is on and the the brand of Stephen King continues uh, its its uh, its role. So, um, for as long as I can remember, I've been the biggest SK fan in any of my circles, whether IRL or online. In real life, look at that. The first place I felt that I connected with other SK fans, more importantly, Tower Junkies, was on Instagram. I found out about your podcast from SK underscore fans, and after listening to the first five minutes, I was hooked. And again, at this point, I really want to thank out um, Jack and Cody from SK underscore fans because um, any success of this podcast has everything to do with their support. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Anyone who I've tried to recommend to the DT books have had one reason after another why they couldn't read them. My 12-year-old daughter is one I'm going to hold out for because she's read some SK but never finished any books, not yet anyway. She really did get into The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, but when she tried to chat with me about it, I didn't remember much of it, which brings me why I, why to, which brings me to why I love the podcast so much. I'm the type of person who can reread a book just a month after, and not remember much of it. I've always had that, and sometimes it's a blessing, meaning I get to enjoy a book anew. But other times I hate it, because it makes me look that I'm not a quote-unquote real fan. I can't quote from a book or retell a scene that well. I just remember how the stories made me feel, and it's really hard to convey that to others. When I listen to your podcast, I feel like you're in my freaking head. It's creepy, but in a good way. It's like the intro to the Skeleton Crew or Night Shift, can't remember, and SK is telling us that there's a shape under the sheet, 
and you want to pull the sheet off because you want to know what's under there, even though you're terrified. It's night shift, by the way. That is the reason I feel drawn to King and to your production. To get any intelligent supplemental material on a man who has been part of my life for nearly 30 years now is pretty sweet. So a bit about me. I'm a single mom. My two girls are 12 and 15. Both used to be readers and still have it in them. My 12-year-old still loves it, though, and when she's not watching YouTube videos, she's got her nose in a book. I first read King when I was somewhere between 12 to 13 and used to go to the corner store a few times a week with my allowance. Instead of picking up candy, one time I saw this book that caught my attention. I knew that the author was popular, but didn't know much about him. This would have been in the mid-80s. The book was Christine. I zipped through it, then read The Shining, and still have spooky thoughts about the woman in the bathtub, oh, and the hedges, and the thing in the snow. I've not liked many SK movies, but there were a few that managed to do the book justice. The Green Mile is a good example, but my all-time favorite is Stand By Me. It came out when I was about the ages of the boys in the story, and Will Wheaton and River Phoenix were such OMG such cuties. (laughs) My girls love that movie as well. After my divorce, I wanted to do something that I wouldn't have done had I stayed married, and one of the things on the list was to get a tattoo. I got the Ka symbol, and to this day, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. I picked up an addiction to get an ant. I'm sorry. I picked up an addict. <laughs> I picked up an addiction to getting inked. I love the idea of telling my story with art on my person. It's trippy. Next year, I'm booked with the best artist in town to do a half sleeve of Roland as he gets to the tower. The one image that just feels so powerful to me will be the basis, and it'll go from there. So yeah, the Tower books. To me, anyone who says that they are a huge SK fan and hasn't read the Dark Tower books really just pisses me the F off. Seriously, it's like listening to Pink Floyd and not liking The Wall. It's not rational. The Tower books took so much out of SK, and he has owed that devotion, in my humble opinion. The series, to me, represents our life quest. When I will look at my tattoo of Roland close to the tower but not quite there yet, it'll remind me that my life has had no finish line, that the journey is the quest. I personally loved the ending to the series. I'm rereading the other books now to catch the connections. I'm so glad for Robin Firth. Without the Dark Tower concordance, I'd feel even more like a fish out of water trying to remember all of the connections. I've yet to read the comics but plan to. I read very little, in fact. I listen more than I read. My eyes aren't super healthy and are deteriorating at a scary pace, so thank God for Audible.com. Frank Muller's voice is such a gift. If you haven't treated yourself to his narration, please do so. Unfortunately, he passed away before he could finish the Tower Saga, but George Guidal did a nice job wrapping it up. King had wanted Frank to finish, but he was injured in a motorcycle accident and subsequently lost the fight. What a loss. Now, I don't know why you haven't said your name, but I'm curious to know more about you. You mentioned a wife, and from the clues I gather that you're anywhere from between 25 to 35, and we have no idea where you're from. If those are conscious choices, then so be it. Just thought you'd like to know that at least one listener is interested in finding out more about the host. From a few episodes that I've heard, you sound like someone I wish I could chat with on a regular basis, mainly because I don't know any other real King fans out there. There's a few who've read some books but I put up a bit of a wall or judgment when I hear they haven't read The Tower. Okay, I'm going to stop now, LOL. Didn't I tell you this was going to be long? Um, 
So Manan, thank you for writing. Um, and everyone, this is this is exactly what I'm talking about. I I think that's important for us to be able to share the, these kinds of experiences. So I mean, for me personally, going down to the the local store and buying the paperback editions of Stephen King books that is that's definitely something that I can relate to. Um, and you know, I mean, there's there's literally millions of Stephen King fans out there, and I think that we all have great stories to tell. And the fact that you know, Manan is relating so much to the Dark Tower with, um, you know, the the next stage in her life. I and and just the fact that the tower represents an aspect of life beyond the page. That's what Stephen King is all about. Then, as for me, um, you know, I mean, I, I just I don't really talk about me because the podcast isn't about me. It's about Stephen King, and that's and that's that's the point. Uh, to just I'm just one of the constant readers out there, and I just want the the focus here to to be Stephen King, and I just want this to be a vehicle for everyone else to be able to talk about themselves. So Manan, again, thank you for for writing in, um, and feel free to write in again uh, because I, I this was a great email, and I would love to uh, you know share more of your thoughts. Okay, everyone, so now we're at almost 15 minutes, and what I want to do now is get into this and talk about the Dark Tower. So there's a lot of debate in regards to the talisman's relationship with the Dark Tower. At the time of its release, King had only published the first book in the series, The Gunslinger, so to say that the talisman is majorly connected to the Dark Tower series is not the right way to look at it, at least not from a literal standpoint. Now keep in mind that I'm referring to The Talisman right now, and not its sequel, Black House. Some might argue that the similarities found between the two stories are aspects of the tower itself. Maybe this story is told within the petals of a rose field that stretches to the horizon, one that sits under the shadow of the real tower. Maybe the talisman is some physical manifestation of Gan, the hotel, a version of the Black Tower. Maybe the story is the final reincarnation of Roland Deschain, now imbued with more characteristics of Jake Chambers than himself, having learned from the boy for thousands of years. This time Roland is able to save his mother, is able to save her from the machinations of a dark man. After all, Jack is described as being single-natured, much like Roland himself, who is described as single-minded. But that comes apart when you start to look at the story of... Black House, where Jack and Roland are explicitly redefined as separate characters. I don't believe that when King and Straub sat down to write The Talisman, they decided to write a novel that would become the magnum opus that one half of the duo hadn't really begun writing yet, and the other half wouldn't have anything to do with it all. With that said, if you look at The Talisman as a stage in the writer's life, you'll see templates that he'll use later on building blocks upon which he'll build his tower. So, for one, we see a fantastic alternate Earth. He began to create the world of Roland and the Gunslinger, which exists in the first novel mostly as a Western setting, with imagery from European literature of knights of castles, queens, and wizards. He will go on to make Midworld an incredibly varied land that shares some similarities with the territories, including most prominently the Wastelands and its similarities to the Blasted Lands. It's remarkable that both novels include a section in which the main characters have to travel through an irradiated landscape by way of a train, which will be later seen in the Wastelands. Some may read The Talisman and mistake the two locations as the same place, which to me is not the way to read it. 
One, it's clear that the territories and Midworld are two distinct worlds, with the territories being smaller than ours and Midworld actually expanding. Two, the wastelands are so poisonous that the air would kill Jack in a second. Roland and his quartet are only safe because they're protected within the pressurized cabin of Blaine the Mono. So, why two novels with such similar beats? On one hand, it's like I said, we have a writer who is clearly stuck with this image and wanted to use it again. From a storybook standpoint, the Dark Tower serves as a nexus, held in place by invisible beams that are starting to break. Each beam that falls allows for reality to lose its shape little by little until the worlds start to bleed together. We see lightsaber-wielding doombots in Wolves of the Kala and weaponized Harry Potter grenades in the final book. Reality is smearing together like paint on a canvas, rewriting itself as the beams fall apart. In the final book, when Jake dies in his attempt to save Stephen King's life, he has to jump in front of a car. As I mentioned in part two of my Gunslinger review, this action has such immense cosmic repercussions. It's like throwing a stone into the water. The ripples will expand outward and backward and forward through time. So it's no surprise that Jake had once died from a car crash in his first life. That's a result of the stone's throw into the water. The first death, a ripple from the impact. The same could be said here in The Talisman. Elsewhere in the multiverse, the most important collection of people will gather together within the belly of an insane, sentient machine in a contest of will and riddles. Its conclusion will seal the fate of all universes that ever existed. If Blaine wins, the Katet dies, the gunslingers don't reach the tower, the tower falls. If they win, they live to continue their quest to reach the tower. Another stone's throw. The ripples are felt here, replayed out again with Jack Sawyer. The Tower Saga is the ultimate story. All stories originate from it. Every wizard is a version of Flag. Every western plays off iconography that comes from Midworld. Every lonesome cowboy is descended from the very concept of Roland of Gilead. It doesn't matter that in our world, our real world, we have grown up with other stories of wizards, other stories of cowboys, etc. In the world of the Dark Tower, we exist within the multiverse, and every story ever put to paper, every archetype ever followed in a narrative, came from the quest of the last gunslinger in his attempt to reach the Dark Tower. So it should come as no surprise that the events within his life are seen in other books, like the Talisman. If similarities can be described as ripples, then Sloat and Sawyer, sorry, then the Sloat and Sawyer Corporation can be seen as a version of the Sombra Corporation, the evil organization serving the Crimson King. The Talisman itself can be seen as an interpretation, an echo of the Dark Tower. One is the axis of all possible worlds, and the other is the axle of all possible worlds, as described here in the Talisman. And what's interesting is that I've seen screenshots of more recent editions of the Talisman, and it looks like they have changed that description from the axle of all possible worlds to be the axis of all possible worlds. So the argument is kind of blurring now. Other similarities include animals with two heads, which in the Dark Tower is a result of mutation due to radiation poisoning over the generations. Creatures like Elroy, the were-goat, are reminiscent of the Tahin, human-animal hybrids that work for the Crimson King. 
Furthermore, along with were-goats, Sloat and Oris are in control of gargoyles and werewolves. Supernatural creatures in service to a villain bent on conquering worlds is very similar to the relationship between the Crimson King and his servants. Likewise, the pits are filled with wayward children under the rule of Osmond, not unlike Munchen's overseeing of the captured children breakers in the Black House. King and Straw Bright and Jack realized dimly that it is Jason's side had begun to overlap with his Jack's side. Some third being, which was an amalgamation of both, was emerging. Of course, this plays out in the Dark Tower between Detta, Odetta, and the creation of Susanna. On the journey through the Blasted Lands, along with many creatures Jack sees, he also spots a humanoid figure that bears striking resemblance to the slow mutants found within the pages of the Dark Tower. The scene in which Jack defeats Ruel, Osmond's mutant demon's son, is almost identical to Father Callahan's redemptive swan song against the elder vampires in the Dark Tower, complete with a charged totemic object that is thrust into the face of a creature whose head melts like butter. The descriptions are very nearly the same, if I remember correctly. We get similar descriptions between the books when Jack nearly becomes a god and when Roland experiences the Man in Black's vision of the universe. We have very similar images of the mother at the window as well, Lily for Jack and Gabrielle for Roland. While the territories may not be the same land as Midworld, King and Straub knowingly create a backdoor connection to the world of the Gunslinger when, in a flashback, Phil states that he believes there are other worlds out there and describes the sensation of being close to the territory's territories. Um, and then in the uh, Black House, we... Um, we actually have a longer conversation around that, um, how close Midworld is to the territories, and um, Roland in a flashback short story um, entitled Little Sisters of Alluria, he comes across a pavilion that's very, very similar to uh, Queen Lily's pavilion. We see that there is a distinct overlap, as in some of the examples of speech. Anders, for instance, the station agent on the edge of the Blasted Lands, uses the term Diaken. Now, Wikipedia flat out states that Jack is a gunslinger, which, really, seriously, shame on you, Wikipedia. The, the text never states this, and I believe that in Black House, Parkus might state that Jack could have been a gunslinger in another life or another world, something of the sort. But make no mistake, Jack is Jack. He's heroic, determined, and at times badass, but he's not a gunslinger. In fact, in the Black House, uh, he is told that the Crimson King could blow him out half a world away, um, and he couldn't do that with a gunslinger. With that said, there's some commonalities. He's on a quest to go west, just like Roland. He must reach an object, just like Roland. The object calls to him, just like the tower does to Roland. A man in black from his past, whose betrayal is responsible for his father's death, stands in his way. He enters a dark building at the end of his journey, and his most loyal friends die for his cause. Um... So the, the, the similarities are, are definitely definitely there, but um, I, I would say that the talisman is its own thing, um, and it's just a stage in the author's life filled with patterns that he will explore in later novels. Um, and there are some connections, but I don't believe that the talisman, the object, is the Dark Tower. I'll definitely get more into this in later Dark Tower books and the sequel to The Talisman, um, which I can't wait to get to, The Black House, which I consider the last great Dark Tower book, and it is a Dark Tower book. So everyone, um, thanks for listening to this very special bonus episode, and I will see everyone here next week 
for my review of Stephen King's second short story collection, Skeleton Crew. So have a great week, and I'll see you here next week. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen King cast.